So we are working our way through the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 16, and last week we were able to read about the vials, which of course are a repeat of the plagues that would affect Pharaoh, found back in Exodus 7, Exodus 9, and Exodus 10. And of course, when we get to the Word of God and we read it carefully, we see that there's a lot of unfinished business. Of course, Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist and the children of Israel are breaking out after being in bondage for decades, if not 400 plus years. Blood and scriptures is nearly always a picture of judgment. Moses would turn the Nile into blood and the first miracle that Jesus would do would be to turn water into wine. If you speak to a Catholic, they like to speak about the mass being a literal sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, a continual sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believe that the priest is able to bring Jesus down from heaven and crucify him again and again and again. And when those of us which are saved speak out against it, we are called anti-Catholic. We are called uh, bigots. We are called intolerant. And yet the truth of the matter is that they are the bigots. They are anti-Bible and they hate the scriptures. They think that their tradition is superior to the scriptures. And that's why those of us which are ex-Catholic speak out so many times against such heresies. So blood pictures judgment. Moses is found many times back in the Old Testament and is quite likely going to be one of the two witnesses. And again, you can't help but think of the Mass being a non-bloody sacrifice. And yet that sacrifice will one day be turned back in their own heads. The wrath of God continues to abide on men and women, found from John 3.36. And that's why we go onto the streets. That's why we do outreach work to try and speak to people, to plant seeds. Because like people say, once you're dead, you're dead a long time. And of course, if you die without Christ, off to hell you go. But last week, we were able to look at the first uh, 12 verses from Revelation chapter 16. And incidentally, this will be broadcast number 29. And we read about the kings of the east marching to Jerusalem. Leaders from probably uh, Russia, China and Japan. On top of that, we read about a 200 million man army. Now, at the moment, to the best of my knowledge, there isn't an army on the face of the earth which has a 200 million strong army. If you were to look at America, for example, at last count, they have around 350 million people. And yet nowhere near a 200 million strong army. Russia has around, I think, 400 million people or thereabouts. But they, too, haven't got an army anywhere near 200 million strong. India has over a billion people. And yet they have nowhere near an army of 200 million. So if you were to combine the armies of America, Russia and India or America, Russia and China, don't forget China, over a billion people, you still aren't going to make it because the armies from those three, four countries at most would make maybe 50 million, maybe 60 million, but nowhere near 200 million. So the argument has been made in the past that what you are going to experience during the tribulation is a demonic army of some kind. And one writer has put the hypothesis forward that those in hell are going to be resurrected and they're going to march with human armies, quite possibly, but they're going to march towards Jerusalem. An awful thought. 
It is fair to say, as a quick footnote, that if you were to take every army in the world today, you may have a 200 million strong army. That's possible. But looking at previous verses, previous chapters from Revelation, I think it's more likely that we are going to experience some kind of a demonic army. I shan't rule out a human aspect to that, but uh, the head of this army will be the Antichrist. And his goal is to march on Jerusalem, the eternal city, to destroy it. And if you have ever spent any time over the last couple of decades of your life, or if you are a history buff as I am, you know that the nations have been wanting to get their hands on Israel for a long time. And I mean Jerusalem. And every time they have tried to take Jerusalem by force, like uh, 1948, 1967, 1975, they've been pushed back because the Lord isn't going to allow any Gentile country or group to put their dirty hands on that holy piece of land. So for today, if we may, let's try and conclude Revelation chapter 16. And let's commence, if we may, in verse 13, please. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out to the mouth of the dragon and out to the mouth of the beast and out to the mouth of the false prophets. Once again, the unholy trinity has been found. And note verse 13. 13, of course, is synonymous with witchcraft. 13 is synonymous with the occult. And you hear about these frogs, which John was able to see coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. Now, if you think of frogs, you think of little green slimy creatures, which are normally found around swampy areas. And from memory, if you think back to 1939, there was a movie called The Wizard of Oz. And I saw that film many, many years ago. And I'm pretty sure there is a scene in that movie where the Wicked Witch of the East is putting a spell on Dorothy, played by uh, Judy Garland. And there are frogs in that scene because frogs are very much synonymous with witches, the occult. And here John, around 90 AD, is being shown a vision into the future. And he sees three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament, there are several accounts of the Antichrist being able to use flattery to seduce those that don't belong to the Lord. And in some ways, he is a slick salesman. He's going to charm those that are against the Lord. And he would do so because their hearts are not fixed on the Lord. But behind the charm, the charisma of the Antichrist and co, you've got unclean spirits. Devils, of course which are pictured like frogs. And go back to any uh, movie which deals with the occult, maybe Harry Potter to some extent, although I've never seen that film, I don't care to, but I do believe there are uh, some scenes from that movie where frogs are used because witches like frogs and frogs are very much affiliated with uh, murky waters, ponds, rivers, so on and so forth. And you think of Leviathan, another term for Satan. But these frogs, these unclean spirits are coming out to the mouth of this unholy trinity. A terrible thought. Let's keep reading on verse 14, please. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth. 
and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. For this present dispensation, we live by faith, not by sight. The Jews are entitled to receive a sign, and they received signs from the Lord Jesus Christ, left, right, and center. They were told from Deuteronomy chapter 18 that the Messiah would come, and he'd be a prophet like unto Moses, meaning that he'd be a Jew, and he would have the signs and wonders which Moses had, as did some of the other Old Testament prophets. And when he came, it was imperative that the children of Israel would listen to him, would see him. And like I say, for most of his ministry, he would heal people left, right and sent. In fact, one of my uh, sermons, which I prepared for next week, we'll look at the miracles of the Lord. And just a quick uh, plug now. And uh, let me say this, if I may, that I counted from the Gospel of Matthew alone, 30 miracles, 30 miracles, which Christ did in public. And if you take the time to look at anyone else from antiquity, any other so-called holy leader or any kind of uh, holy person who offers him or herself as something special, they can't come anywhere near that. But he did miracles, authentic miracles. He changed people's lives. He came to set captivity captive. He came to seek and to save, uh, seek and to, uh, seek and to save that which was lost. And yet, in spite of all that, many times he got pushed back. But here, these spirits of devils are working miracles. So therefore, if you take the time to look at Christianity today or Christendom today, you will come across the charismatic wing of Christendom. Now, the Church of Rome have got charismatic priests and the Church of England have got charismatic vicars and the Protestants and the charismatics like the Assemblies of God, the Baptists to some extent and the Pentecostals claim to be able to do miracles. Not all, of course, but... In most denominations, you will find people that claim to be able to do miracles. But the question has to be asked, are those miracles authentic? What's the source of those miracles? Don't assume automatically that such miracles are commissioned by the Lord. Even during the Gospels, when the Lord would heal people, like when he would resurrect Lazarus from the dead, it speaks about the Jews planning a council to put him to death. See, miracles per se don't result in repentance. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Miracles were done for the glory of God and to strengthen the faith of the apostles, not necessarily to benefit unsaved people. So when you hear about people today that claim to be able to do miracles, just take the time to drill a little deeper into such claims. And it may just be that when you see these people going to crusades, to be healed, that perhaps they are part of the act. Perhaps they work for the team that has sent their evangelist into such a town or a city. I won't rule out that the Lord can still heal people today. Of course he can. But he doesn't use people per se to do the healings. Paul the Apostle was almost blind before he died. Timothy would suffer with awful ulcers. Trophimus was sick unto death. James the son of Zebedee would be martyred. Stephen was martyred. You got three, four, five people in a 20 year period that were suffering and some would lose their lives and nobody came out of the wings to resurrect James or Stephen. Nobody took the time to pray over Paul to take that thorn out of his flesh. No one took the time to pray over Timothy or Trophimus. Did you get that? Those people were sick and Paul would rejoice that when he was weak, he was strong. 
But here these miracles, referred to from verse 14, are the spirits of devils, working miracles, counterfeit miracles, not from the Lord, but from Satan, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Now, kings of the earth are going to be leaders, obviously, prime ministers, presidents, those in authority. Why? To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The main theme of the scripture is not just about a king and a kingdom, but it's also about the Lord dealing with the nations, dealing with heathen, dealing with unsaved people, dealing with people that love darkness rather than light. And he sat back for millenniums. He sent prophets. He sent his son. He sent apostles. He has given the church a 2,000 plus year remit, goal, plan, project, if you will, to preach the gospel. We've been commissioned to get people saved. And yet time after time, we get pushed back. People turn this wonderful message down. And a lot of people would much rather do religion, like go to mass, do the rosary and pray to dead people and partake of the mass, which is a blasphemy, which is a heresy which is an abomination. So 13 and 14 are picturing an event which is still to occur. And I say that because most Christians, if they ever read Revelation, and most don't, but those that do will normally spiritualize such passages. But as far as I'm concerned, and have been for the last 29 weeks, as I continue to read this incredible book, I see such events are still very much in the future. And that's why, again, futurism is the only way to quickly exegete this part of the New Testament. Look at verse 15, please. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. To read this verse in and of itself, you might think that this is a picture of one losing their salvation, which, of course, is incorrect. To read this verse in light of other verses pictures the potential risk of a person losing his or her testimony your testimony is the hardest thing to get and yet the quickest thing to lose and that's why we speak about separation that's why we speak about being careful what you do and how you do what you do and who you associate with and what you do because once you've lost your testimony you can't get it back so here the picture is given to tribulation saints to watch out to be careful, to be mindful as to what is going on. 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, being Megiddo. And back in the 19th century, Napoleon would find himself at such a spot. And he said somewhat prophetically that one day all of the nations of the world would meet in such a place to prepare for battle. He was a Catholic Freemason. And yet what he said is absolutely correct. One day in the future, all of the nations of the world will be summoned, will be gathered at Armageddon, Megiddo, to march towards Jerusalem, led no doubt by the Antichrist. And they will be of the opinion that perhaps they can take Jerusalem, the eternal city. And yet every time every group of people have marched towards Jerusalem, they've been pushed back. Let's keep reading on from verse 17, please. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. 
and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. In other words, there's no point of return. They've been given prophets. They've been given the 144,000. They've been given the church. They've been given creation. They've been given uh, conscience. They've been given Bibles. They got more than they need. And yet in spite of all that, mankind continues to push back. In the UK, we have uh, free internet access. If you go into your local library and uh, you want to get online, you can do so. It's free. And I seem to recall being told that you can surf for two hours for free. It's a pretty good deal because not everyone in the UK has internet access. And I think to myself this, that when the Great White Throne comes along and the Lord says to Brits, for example, um, but you could have known so much more about my word because in the UK, as I say, you have free internet access. Such people are going to be completely silenced. Such people won't have anything that they can say in their defense. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Now the air is going to be contaminated. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. What would Christ say on the cross? It is done. Mission accomplished. 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. This is the second earthquake mentioned in scripture. And it speaks about voices, thunders and lightnings. And it's going to destroy many people. I can't think of anything worse than dying in an earthquake. Being sucked into the ground, alive. And then going off into eternity forever to burn. 19. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The great city is Jerusalem, of course. And here she has been divided into three parts. And people say, but how about this twin peace solution, this twin state solution? Let's get the Jews and the Muslims together. Let's carve up Jerusalem. Let's have this two state solution. Let's have the Palestinians ruling side by side with the government from Tel Aviv or perhaps Jerusalem. And that's been on the cards for a long time now. Every American administration going back to, let's see now, probably Carter, has tried to bring peace to the Middle East. And Carter should have known better, because Carter would offer himself as a Bible-believing Christian. In fact, Carter would call himself a born-again Christian. And they've all failed, and they've worked hand-in-hand with the Islamic states. And the current administration seems to be friendly towards Israel, and yet one statement that I read this week uh, spoke about them criticizing Israel for building more settlements. This is the problem when it comes to defending politicians. Politicians have many faces. What they say in public doesn't always reflect what they say in private. And that's why it's important for those of us which are saved not to get too close to such political people. But here, building up to the second coming, you've got Jerusalem cut or divided into three parts. And also the nations have fallen. And people say, well, I'm very proud to be Chinese. Or I'm very proud to be an American. Or I'm very proud to be a Canadian. Well, don't be so quick. Don't be so proud to be a part or to be a member of your country. Because here, your country, your city is going to fall. London has fallen. Washington has fallen. New York has fallen. Barcelona has fallen. Paris has fallen. 
Rome has fallen. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Of course, he never forgot about such an atrocity. To give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, just keep this in mind, if you will, that historically speaking, from the 12th century right up until the present, every Calvinist or most Calvinists and most Reformed Christians believe that Babylon is Rome. The Reformers were all of the same opinion that Babylon was Rome. And yet one writer from, uh, I think I mentioned last week, or one writer that I was told about last week, thinks that Babylon could be in reference to Jerusalem. Some Christians think that Babylon could be in reference to New York or Washington. But when we get to chapter 17 next week, I think it's fair to say that Babylon has got to be Rome. And therefore I completely concur with the Reformed position, their view that Babylon is going to be Rome. At the same time, we can't rule out or overlook the Antichrist's allegiance, his treaty with Rome. One more time from 19. And the great city, the eternal city, was divided into three parts. Perhaps a bit like Berlin after the Second World War. You had the Brits, the Americans, and the Russians, and also the French, of course, carving up parts of uh, West Berlin, Checkpoint Charlie. And if you lived in the east of Berlin, it was pretty miserable for you. You had the Soviets watching you. You had the KGB, or the Stasi, I think they were called. And if you happened to live on a street in East Berlin, there was a Stasi member assigned to every street in that part of Germany. And I seem to recall reading that not only would a secret uh, police officer or a spy, call him what you will, be watching you, but he would have access to your house. And if he wanted to, he could let himself into your home with his own key, come into your room and sit down with you. You can't imagine it, can you, today? But that's how it was. That was the power that the Stasi had over those poor people living in East Germany. And yet people sometimes say, but the communists are so wonderful and uh, capitalism is so corrupt. Well, that's true, but what would you rather have? A capitalist system or a communist system? In fact, here's a quick uh, footnote. When the Berlin Wall fell... Back in 1989, Gorbachev was still in power, and he left soon after that. Yeltsin replaced him, and around that time they had elections for the first time ever in Russia. And millions of Russians went to the polls to vote for their new leader, their new government. And surprise, surprise, the communists got almost no votes. They don't want them. If you were to put... Uh, people in Cuba, or if you were to give people in Cuba a chance to vote, or North Korea, I guarantee you, they wouldn't vote for the communists. They don't want communism, such as tied in with atheism, such as tied in with Darwinism, uh, such is an affront to a mighty God. So here, the nations are going to fall. You're going to be uh, witnessing Jerusalem cut into three parts. Again, a bit like Germany after the Second World War. But great Babylon, Rome, came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. If you are a Catholic man or woman, and I mean just an ordinary Catholic man or woman, then I understand that you are very much a victim of your religion. And I'm not against you. And I've known some priests over the years, just ordinary parish priests, decent sort of guys, who are also part of a system 
And it's fair to say that if you are a Catholic priest today in your 70s, and we know a few, you've been in that system all your life. In fact, if you are in your 70s now, or in your 80s now, and you are a Catholic priest, what's not necessarily known outside of Catholic circles is how such people would go to junior seminary when they were very young. They'd been part of a system for decades. And of course, we can see that they are brainwashed. We can see that they are very much in bondage to a system. But until you come out, until these scales fall from your eyes, you have no way of really reaching out to such people or you have no way of really explaining such to such people because they are getting something from their system. But from chapter 18, verse 4, the call will go out. So come out of her, my people. Don't be partakers of her plague, so on and so forth. Look at verse 20, please. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Britain is an island. Singapore is an island. And here, the islands are going to disappear. Mountains are going to be leveled. The entire world will be changed, probably in less than a year's period. Less than 12 months, the entire world will change. So when Christ returns, the world as we know it today will be much smaller. be very different. 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Hails are going to fall out of the sky, literally. And this took place in 1803 in Normandy, France, which incidentally is where the Allies landed in 1944. And back in 1803, such hailstones weighed around eight pounds each. And they would fall down from heaven and did much damage to people. So you see, what has happened in the past will happen again. What happened back in Egypt concerning Pharaoh and the children of Israel will happen again in the tribulation concerning the children of Israel who have been fighting the Antichrist, not physically, of course, but spiritually, and have been resisting the Antichrist. And around that time, hailstones will come out of the sky and fall on people. And in spite of all that, they don't repent they blaspheme Almighty God. They kick against Almighty God. They reject Almighty God. And they continue on in their sin. Which goes back to Jeremiah 17.9 again. How one's heart is desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things who can know it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yes it's difficult sometimes to preach the gospel. And not to get too irate with unsaved people. But it's worth reminding yourself that once upon a time you were like such a person in bondage to sin. So there you are, Revelation chapter 16, 21 verses. And again, such uh, material is going to be relevant to future events. As far as I know, these verses haven't yet happened. As far as I know, we haven't seen over the last 2,000 years such an unholy trinity from verse 13. Yes, we've had wicked people govern the earth, and we still do, but we haven't seen such wickedness thus far.
the main problem for the 21st century is apathy, indifference. And yet when this kicks off, verses 13, 14, 16, 17, and 19, people are going to be screaming. People are going to be in an absolute meltdown. But from chapter 14, like I said some weeks ago, no one else gets saved. So what you are reading will be of relevance to those that got saved before this and are making the best of a difficult situation. It's like the children of Israel that went into the Babylonian captivity and Jeremiah would write to them and he would tell them to keep on going, to get married, have children, to keep on going. If you look at Noah, he boards the ark and he's on that ark for over a year with uh, seven other people and just eight souls were able to survive that picture of uh, captivity because it was, if you think about it, just that. They couldn't get out. They were very much uh, sealed into their ark, kept safe, of course, a great picture of preservation, which would be the equivalent to those of us in the church age. We are preserved. We are sealed. And no one or nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans chapter 8. But here you've got these vials, these plagues, a throwback to the Old Testament. Coming from heaven, almighty God is behind such. And due to his permissive will, he's going to just obliterate a lot of those people on the earth. In fact, that scripture from Isaiah 24 comes to mind. How the Lord will turn the earth upside down, shake the earth and consume man and beast and yet in spite of all that people don't turn back to the lord they turn further from the lord because man resents god even saved people are very rebellious even saved people can be very stubborn and that's why it's important if you are saved to understand the two natures in the believer one moment you are praying speaking to the lord the next minute you are gossiping you are speaking ill of a particular person and as a result you temporarily fall from grace you defile yourself and that's why you were told to confess your sins to the lord but 13 and 14 are very interesting to me i see the beast i see the false prophets and i see the dragon doing miracles on the earth and they're going to call fire down from heaven and people are going to think this is wonderful because most people like to go to a show most people like to experience something entertaining. Some people like to go to the circus. Some people like to go to the cinema. Some people like to go to a sports event. People are very visual. People like to be entertained. But this is the wrong type of entertainment. Such miracles will destroy people. Such miracles are counterfeit. And such miracles will give people the full sense of assurance. The full sense of being accepted. And unfortunately people are going to fall for such deception because the hearts are not right with the lord and that's why it's imperative not to get swept up with this charisma this movement which continues to spread around the world today that people can do healings uh, people can do miracles it may just be that the lord doesn't want to heal a person people say but the lord wants you healthy and wealthy well paul wasn't healthy and wealthy trophimus wasn't healthy and wealthy james the son of zebedee wasn't healthy and wealthy in fact the greats found in the book of acts for the most part, were not healthy and wealthy. They would struggle, and uh, Paul would speak about being whipped 40 times, save one, shipwrecked, left for dead, so on and so forth. He really went through it. 
So if you think you are having a hard time, I would suggest you read 2 Corinthians sometime carefully and uh, compare your sufferings to what the Apostle Paul went through, who's very much our Apostle for today. But I think for today I've said enough. This will be a conclusion to chapter 16, a two-parter. And as I say, when this thing kicks off, look out. But thankfully, those of us which are saved today will not be present when this happens because we would have been enraptured from uh, chapter 4. But for tribulation saints, they will see this. They will go through this. Some will lose their heads. Others will be able to survive. And as such, they meet the Lord. Matthew 24, going into Matthew 25. And off they go into the millennial kingdom to rule and reign for 1,000 years. And those that weren't saved are going to be separated from the Lord. And off they go into everlasting destruction. Prepare for the devil and his angels. But I'll close it there, and next week we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 17.